Welcome to the Confessionalist Podcast. Today, we're discussing when to do strategic relocation. I'm Raymond Simmons, and we're on episode six. Thanks for keying up the podcast. We're continuing our discussion of strategic relocation. Last time we talked about the why and the how of strategic relocation. We said it's important to have a mission, a defined purpose for relocating. That is, it's more than just to survive. Jesus is on the throne and we are his vice regents and we're here to advance, not just survive. We also talked about the necessity of a covenantal approach, one that is missing so much today. So we covered those two things last time why and how. And I said I would cover two more today, the when and the where. Well, I should have known that would be cramming too much in. I'm only going to talk about the when today. Sorry for the pump fake. Also, there will be no podcast next week. We're, we're taking the week off to do work on a film. It's a promotional film for the New Dunedin Project. The New Dunedin Project is a potential church plant and settlement in Iowa, and we're going to be working on that next week. So we will eventually get to answering the where question, and I'm thinking that will actually be two podcasts, one for laying out the criteria and a second one for applying that that uh, criteria. Today's topic is the when, and I think the best way to answer that is to run down the conditions that would trigger a strategic relocation. What is the situation that I think, and opinions may differ, what, what's the situation in which you should call 1-800-U-Haul and start looking for houses or land? So let's just run down some of these conditions. I'm going to call them metrics, and you let me know if we're at a point where uh, strategic relocation is is called for. And I, l- let me just say up front, if you think the Lord is calling you to strategically relocate, I recommend you do it as soon as possible. Not even as soon as practical, but as soon as possible. I'm not alarmist, and I, I'm not fearful about the future, but as we'll see today, I, I think it's time that if the Lord is calling you to do that, uh, the sooner the better. So let's run run down these things. Number one, existing and growing judgment. This is the first metric. Now, God has not given us, as he has in the past, a deployment order like he did with Abraham, you know, saying, saying go to a different land. And he hasn't given us an evacuation order like Luke 21, where Jesus tells his disciples that when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, flee to the mountains. But, and this is my first point, he has given us his law and the repercussions of breaking that law in the Bible. That's why a confessional covenantal viewpoint is so important, so that we can see things from God's perspective. Without that, we simply won't apply the law to uh, all of society, and we won't see that we are part of that society. But if we do approach the Bible with a covenantal mindset, and particularly these these verses that are dealing with society, we'll get a better sense of what God has in mind. For example, Revelation 18.4 says this, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. So this is just an an example of a covenantal understanding of connection to society and a reason to, to move out. My point here is that we don't have to have a personally directed 
warning, like they did here in, in Revelation 18, of the destruction of Jerusalem that was going to occur in AD 70. But we have the sufficient scripture that brings us principles, which, with the Holy Spirit's help, we apply today. So a verse like this will we'll, we'll get some, some traction in our, in our lives today. Look at the societal sins that cause these two conditions. This is what I, I recommend. First of all, society-wide punishment. And secondly, God withdrawing his blessing. What causes these two things to happen today, and how are we doing? There's been a steady decline of our, of our culture, but we've entered some new territory. Obergefell flipped us into a situation where we are not only committing sins as a society, but officially promoting them, celebrating them. This is why we've had many authors saying for the first time, we lost the culture war. Those of you who follow Aaron Wren, his categorization that Christians are now in the negative world, where it is seen as a negative thing to be a Christian, I I think that's accurate. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't engage. After all, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But it does mean that we are in a different environment. I don't watch TV that much, but I did last week when I went to to visit my dad. And man, I saw many things on TV I have never seen before. June is Pride Month. And I don't know that they realize how directly Romans 1 speaks against this particular sin and the pride of it. We often say that we don't know when God will judge us. Well, okay, but I say he already is. We've just been through the greatest pandemic in our nation, and the ramifications are ongoing, and we didn't change. We have not repented as a nation. Not only did we not repent, I'm not sure we have a unified institutional church to facilitate a truly national repentance. There were some godly men calling for repentance and some churches calling out for that, but nothing at the national level, even hinting that this pandemic may be because of our sin and hinting that we need to change our ways. So the first metric is whether you are under existing and growing judgment, and do you have a way to get out of it? We are under judgment as a nation, but is there a mechanism for national repentance on all of society confession and covenant renewal? I don't think it exists. And I think we'll need to focus locally to be able to repent and get out from judgment. So that that leads us to the second metric, which is initiative. And I want to bring in a fighter pilot named John Boyd. Boyd was a Korean War pilot and was really the moving force that gave us the F-16 and the F-18, our, our most agile agile fighters. Boyd observed something in dogfighting that he codified in the OODA loop. Observation, orientation, decision, action. You may have heard of the OODA loop, but maybe you don't know that this is where it came from. This is the process that pilots, all pilots, no matter what side you're on, use. And Boyd discovered that if you can shorten your OODA loop so that you have a shorter decision cycle, you win. So you want to be evaluating and acting quicker than your opposing force. Imagine it this way. Let's say there's a landslide, like something on the side of of a hill, and the terra firma is sliding down the mountain, and you're going with it. Well, you want to be walking up the hill faster than the land is sliding down. You want your decision cycle to be faster than the 
cultural decision cycle and the actions that are coming from that. Boyd very keenly showed that this OODA loop is used everywhere in nature. Businessmen took up the idea and so have grand strategists. What we're really talking about is who has the initiative. Most people, when thinking about strategic withdrawal or temporary retreat, think that you should retreat whenever you are losing more people than the enemy. That's not a good metric. You don't want to get to that point. You want to withdraw before that point. When you look at the campaigns of Joshua, he was always trying to seize the initiative. And I think that's for, for, for good reason. I mentioned this before, but one of the primary reasons the pilgrims left Leiden after 11 years was that they were being influenced more by the culture than they were able to influence the culture. So there was a negative trend there. Cotton Mather said that they could not build banks to keep back the cultural influence of the Dutch at the time, and so they left. So the second metric is who is reacting more, you are the, or, or the adversary. Are we able to influence the culture more than it influences us? If so, stay. If not, relocate and attack from a different angle. Well, let's get into some more tangible things, logistics. The third metric is logistics, and particularly logistical lines. Are your logistical lines capable of sustaining operations for as long as you anticipate the conflict? And of course, you should put some, some, some padding in there. And this is where I begin to agree with the preppers. The preppers are not wrong in their practical applications and their actions. They're just not complete in their actions, uh, that they, they, they just want to hunker. And they don't see things from a biblical perspective, at least most of them. They are often operating for themselves, and they're operating out of a spirit of fear. Food is rightly a primary concern. It's actually a deeper problem than most people realize because industrial farming has put us into a food security problem. Our food supply chain, also called farm to fork, that has about between five and eight intermediary agencies that food passes through before entering the produce section or the grocery refrigerator section. I mean, it goes from, an, uh, um, you know, the initial handlers to sorters, transporters, uh, supply banks, distribution. And all it takes is for one of those links to go, and it doesn't matter how much food you have. And the United States is not producing as much of our own food as we used to. For fruits and vegetables, we're somewhere between 60 to 80% imported now. And that's up from 40%. We were only importing 40% in 2008. So we've had a pretty significant change. Not long ago, I watched a YouTube series by Jeff Bodkin on preparing for national judgment. He was advocating putting yourself in a situation where you could provide food for your family and hopefully some others, not for days or months, but for years. And I've come to believe he's correct for um, a couple of reasons. First of all, I mean, you know, God has a history of levying multi-year famines, and that's how he does it. And then secondly, the food system in America is very industrial. It has a long lead time, and it depends upon mechanisms and chemical supply chains for fertilization. And all it takes is for one of these nodes to be broken, and you have a big 
problem, a long-term problem. So are your logistical lines vulnerable? And if so, it's probably a good idea to relocate to a situation where you can provide food, not just for a few weeks or months, but that you can actually have a sustainable supply. This doesn't necessarily mean you need to raise your own food, but you want to have a way to access those who do have food production, you know, in, in, in some type of agreement. And if you don't have that, I think strategic relocation is in order. The fourth metric is communication. If you lose your ability to communicate, you've already lost the battle. Communication nodes are almost always the first to be targeted in any military campaign. You want to take those out first. In the Tower of Babel, God basically took down civilization's ability to communicate. And when he did that, when he confused the languages, he he atomized communication. And by doing that, he made it more difficult and people groups became less effective and less able to carry out, in this case, their evil uh, desires. But as, as Christians, we are at the mercy of communication systems that are set against us. I watched a congressional hearing with all of the executives of, uh, uh, of Google, Twitter, and Facebook after the Capitol riots, and the message from Congress was clear. The government expects them to censor. Now, the government can't censor, but uh, when you're riding on private systems, those companies can, and Congress is pressuring them to do that. And so we're, we're in a very bad situation on the communication side. We still have atomized communication. I think that we will continue to have that. But the broader message uh, is what's becoming more and more uh, controlling of us, uh, of subduing of us. Rod Dreher's most recent book, uh, Live Not By Lies, does a great job of showing how we are losing the ability to communicate at the national level, at the narrative level. So if you can help it, you don't want to remain in a situation where you cannot communicate your own beliefs, but instead are bombarded constantly by the belief of others. It's, um, it's essentially a one-way communication. And I think Christians should stay in these pagan communication channels as much as possible, but realize that we are at the whim of those who do not like the truth of the Bible. And so therefore, strategic relocation is a good idea to make sure you are around the people you can communicate with. Financial. Let's talk about the economy a bit. Just like I said earlier, we do not have a, a direct evacuation order from, from God to leave. And with finances, we don't have any new prophetic revelation about what the economy will do. We don't really know. But we do have biblical principles. And one of those is that you cannot make something from nothing. You cannot just make money out of thin air. Nothing is nothing because God has not created it. God created economics, and he created the means by which it is to be executed. He made it to be an exchange of real products and real services by an agreeable exchange medium, one that is not to be altered with. Our whole system is very unbiblical. Ma- manipulation of currency is everywhere, and it's a violation of Proverbs 20.23. 20, Diverse weights are an abomination unto the Lord, and a false balance is not good. What about debt? Go online and look at the chart from the Congressional Budget Office on our projected national debt. I'm not fear-mongering here. Just take a look at it and realize this is from the people who have really no incentive to show how, how, how bad it is. 
it is set to skyrocket above anything we've ever seen before, including depression, including world wars. Uh, it, it, it's, it's amazing. Go take a look at it. Real estate and inflation. What happens in an inflationary market eventually is that people can't afford housing, and so everyone stays where they are. Money Magazine just uh, a couple weeks ago said the number of existing home sales has dropped for three consecutive months. And it's not normal for home sales to drop as we get into spring and summer. I quote, home sales are slowing down as buyers struggle to find homes they can't afford, unquote. So if you're, if you're looking to sell, I recommend doing it while the getting is hot. Consider going into some temporary housings, you know, once you sell and, uh, and then maybe waiting for the market to crash. Now I'm no financial advisor, but we do know that housing sales are slowing down. Probably my greatest concern is that we are becoming more and more socialist. My investment uh, advisory service just sent out a newsletter saying that fiscal stimulus is likely to stay. In other words, we are moving to more of a European model of high taxes and government handouts. All of my fellow homeschooling families, you're going to get a healthy monthly check from the government starting next week, I think. It's a it's a tax break that's pre-applied, only it's not really a tax break because none of us are going to have to pay that much tax anyway. It's a very creative and skillful handout. I just watched John Wayne in his movie McClintock. The government was about to give away free land in the Mesa Verde Valley. And John Wayne says this, Don't you know the government never gave anybody anything? What he meant was the government cannot give anything except what it steals or what it creates with manipulation. They don't have property to give. But we're entering into a new system starting next month. And do we want our children to grow up seeing us take a monthly check from the government? Yeah, I'm probably going to cash the check because 1 Corinthians 10.25 shows me that God allows his people to operate within a sinful economy. But, I, but I'm hopeful to, in whatever way possible to separate from, from that system. Lord, help me. I do not want to become dependent on the government. So to wrap up, we went over five metrics to determine when to do strategic relocation, existing and growing judgment, and whether or not the culture has the initiative on us or if we have the initiative on the culture, our dependence on God-hating companies for communication, logistics, and long-term food supply, and our financial situation. I think it will be harder to sell our houses the longer we wait. To me, all of these things are calling for strategic relocation as soon as possible. Now, before you go grab your bug out bag, let me temper this a bit. I, I think we're in a state of emergency, but I don't think it's time to panic. Remember, this is strategic relocation, not survival reposition. No need to panic here. If you cannot move because of finances or family obligations, call out to God. He can take care of you and your family where you are. It may not be easy, but it may not be easy if you relocate either. The, the promise that we have is that God is with his people. But it is my analysis that now is a good time to get into that place where you can not only make it through national judgment, but get out from underneath it. So may the Lord help us and the generations that flow from us. 
We'll see you again in two weeks. We'll pick up where we left off and talk about the where of strategic relocation. Any questions or comments, you can find my contact information on the website. Well, until next time, remember Psalm 6311. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. <laughs>